Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the Lean Zone podcast. Today, we wrap up our three-part series on construction contracts. If you haven't listened to part one, in that section, we talked about the right to stop work, notice an opportunity to cure, pay when paid, and price escalation provisions. In part two, we talked about hidden conditions, delays, and consequential damage provisions. And today, we're going to talk about the last three of the top 10, and that is liquidated damages, caps on damages, and then indemnity, defense, and hold harmless provisions. If you haven't tried our free contractdetective.com tool, go and check it out right now. You can upload for free your construction contract, and it'll send you back a highlighted copy of that contract with each of these provisions identified in the contract. And as always, if you have questions, send me an email, alex at barthet.com. Thanks. Clients come to me sometimes and they say, there's a liquidated damage provision in the contract. They're like, I don't want liquidated damages. Let me suggest to you that maybe you do. Um, and the reason is, is because sometimes clients come to me and they, are, they incorrectly perceive that if the contract has no liquidated damages, then they are not liable for delay-related damages. That is not the case. Here's the way it works. You are responsible for either liquidated damages in the contract, and if there is no liquidated damage provision in the contract, you are liable for actual damages. The reason people pick uh, or put in liquidated damages provisions is because calculating actual delay damages is hard and expensive. So a shorthand of dealing with that problem is to say, hey, let's just agree on a number and those delays, we don't have to calculate. We just say you were late a week, $1,000 a day, that's $7,000, rather than saying, well, you were late and what did I have to do? I had to bring an extra guy out, uh, you know, and I pay him $35 an hour, and I had extra rent, and I had to pay fuel. I could, adding all those costs is a hard thing to do. G agreeing on a number is easier. So why are liquidated damages not such a bad thing? They're not so bad if you can control them, and there are two things that you can do that most people will agree, I should say three, three things you should do um, that can control or limit your liability with respect to liquidated damages. So let's look at a favorable liquidated damage provision for contractors. Subcontractor acknowledges that if it fails to achieve completion of the entire work by the completion date, contractor will incur substantial damages and the extent of such damages are incapable or very difficult of accurate measurement. Nonetheless, the parties agree that for each calendar day after the completion date, that the project has not achieved final completion, subcontractor shall be liable to contractor in the amount of $1,000. This amount represents a good faith estimate by the parties as to the actual future damages that would occur as a result of late completion and is not a penalty. Again, this is just an example of 1,000. I've seen contracts, you know, we, we, we reviewed contracts for subcontractor clients that were building that big guitar hotel that's in Allendale, I think, um, and uh, that I, they had, they were selling uh, events and rooms like a year before. So they had like plans of people 
ready to come in. I believe it was, I think for the subs, it was at least $10,000 a day. Um, and I believe that there was like certain thresholds that they had events that were planned. So like, you know, $10,000 a day for the first 30 days and then an additional $100,000. So the numbers were enormous. Uh, so how to deal with liquidated damage provisions. So here is a more favorable provision and we'll break it apart and I'll explain the, the parts of it that you can try to incorporate in the next time you negotiate a contract. If subcontractor fails to achieve substantial completion within 30 calendar days, 30 calendar days after substantial completion date, the parties acknowledge and agree that the actual damages to the contractor for delay will be impossible to determine, and in lieu thereof, the subcontractor shall pay the contractor liquidated damages in the amount of $100 per day for each calendar day of delay thereafter, but not as a penalty, notwithstanding the total liquidated damages shall not exceed $10,000. So let's talk about the, ver the three things you should be thinking about when it comes to liquidated damage provisions. Number one, a grace period. Some date after the substantial completion date or final completion date that you have the right, that, where it's a buffer. So in this example, it's 30 calendar days. I will tell you, you know, most people will agree to some, you know, one, two, three weeks, 30 days after uh, completion for you to have this grace period, right? So that's number one. Try to push the date that starts liquidated damages back. Number two, lower the liquidated damage amount, right? So they started 1,000, you're gonna say it's 100, and then they're gonna go to 700, and you're gonna go to 125, right? I mean, you just wanna, you wanna get the lowest number possible. Um, and then number three, a cap. You wanna try to include some cap. People say, well, what's a reasonable cap? Um, most of the time, we see some percentage of your profit on the job. I do not recommend that you actually put the formula, you know, half my profit, um, because then you'll have to disclose what your profit is on the job. But you internally, you're thinking about the number, and typically we see it's some percentage, you know, half, three quarters of your profit on the job, and that's your cap. The idea being if I'm late, you know, and it's my fault, I guess I'm gonna do this job for free, but I'm not gonna lose money. So that's something to keep in mind. Another trick at a high level that you should keep in mind when you're negotiating a contract, um, it takes a lot of work. It's probably not warranted in every contract, but big contracts that are significant to your company, notice that they will almost always incorporate some other contract. So if you're the sub, it's gonna incorporate the prime contract uh, by reference. You should, you're entitled to a copy of that prime contract. You should get it because the contractor may be telling you things about what they're willing to give to you, only when you look at the prime contract, you realize, oh, wait a second, they actually cut a better deal with the owner, right? So they may say, oh no, we can't give you a cap on damages. And then you get their contract and you realize, oh look, they put a $1 million cap on liquidated damages. You can't make them give it to you, right? They could say no, and then my response to clients when that happens is, okay, then remove the reference to the prime contract. If you're not gonna give it to me, then you can't expect me to be bound by it. So I don't wanna see it. I don't wanna read 80 more pages. So everywhere it says that we incorporate the prime contract, take it out. And what you'll notice almost always is they're like, oh, I guess I gotta give it to you. So then they'll give it to you and they'll start to redact you know, numbers and amounts, and, and that's fine. That's the best way to get them to give it to you. All right, so we talked about three, those three things on ways to limit your liability on liquidated damages. All right, next, cap on damages. 
so this is a provision that's favorable to, to subcontractors, and there's two things in here that we're going to talk about on ways to limit your liability. Any and all claims, demands, offsets, or back charges by contractor against subcontractors shall first be assessed, asserted, and exhausted against subcontractors' insurance. Thereafter, subcontractors' direct uninsured liability shall be capped at $25,000. This type of provision does not exist in any contract that anyone gives you. So this is something you're going to add in. Um, so let's talk about the two things that are in this provision that are important. Uh, we'll talk about the easier one first, the cap. Right? So again, you're going to want to put a cap in for your damages. Pick some number. Again, I would suggest that it's some portion or all of your profit if that's what you're willing to give up. If they say, no, I need more than that, well, then you'll have to make the business decision on whether or not you're willing to have a cap that's greater than that. And maybe they won't even, they, maybe they won't even agree to a cap. Um, that's possible. And then you'll make the business decision on how to deal with that. But the second, and I would tell you more important part of this provision, is taking yourself from the brunt of a claim and putting yourself behind your insurance company. And why is that important? Because you may perceive that, well, I have insurance, they'll make an insurance claim. Maybe they will, but they don't have to. They don't have to make the insurance claim first. That's what we want to do. We want to say, before you can come after me, Go after my insurance company. That's why I pay premiums. That's why you wanted my COI, to make sure I had a million, two million, five million dollar policy. So go after them, and when they tell you no, then knock on my door. Um, we have a client, uh, actually a fire sprinkler contractor, and he was doing three jobs for a GC. He did not have a provision like this in his contract. Uh, there was a uh, un expected and no one knows how a uh, sprinkler head that went off damaged uh, I think it was a hotel about $250,000 worth of damage well it just so happens that this contractor was holding money on these on this job and the two others that were owed to this fire sprinkler contractor so they said well this is great I mean we'll fix it uh, and we'll just take the money from these other jobs because they had what's called, again, not we didn't cover it, it's called a cross-default provision, which probably exists in your contracts. It says, we contractor can default you and backcharge you on every contract you have, even if the damage or issue is on one contract. So what, what did they do? They said, okay, we got $250,000 worth of damage here. We owe you 50,000 here, 100 here, and 100 here. Guess what? We're not giving you any money. We paid to fix it, and that's it. He submits the claim to his insurance, and his insurance says, there's no, there's no claim here. Like, no one has come to you and said, uh, you know, we paid money, and therefore you have to fix it. They just took your money. So his insurance company denied the claim because there wasn't a, a claim. So now he's sitting there thinking, well, this really sucks. I have insurance that I paid for that will not respond to this claim. I've got a contractor who has held money and has just taken it, and I'm out here in the cold. And it's because of the way his contract was framed with this GC. So what, what do you want to do? And the advice I gave him was, you need to amend your contracts to say that if someone wants to take your money, they should go after your insurance company first. After they go after your insurance company, and the insurance company, um, and this language is important, exhausted 
against subcontractors insurance. Exhausted is the magic word there, right? It's not submit a claim, right? They could submit a claim, oh, we haven't heard in a week, okay, now we're gonna take your money. Exhausted is a legal term that is, means, like they've tried everything. It could even mean they had to sue the insurance company before they can come after you. So having a provision like this is a great way to limit your liability. All right, indemnity, defense, and hold harmless. Uh, let me explain what they are, because they, they all exist in your contracts. They all mean something slightly different, and most people don't know what they mean because almost always they come together. So it, you, there's always a indemnity, hold harmless, and defense provision. So let's, let me explain what each of them are. Indemnification is the insurance that one party will make the other party whole for any liability damage or loss. Insurance is indemnity. You pay insurance, there's a loss, they will write a check. So that's what indemnity is. Hold harmless is similar but not identical to indemnification. A hold harmless clause states that an organization or individual will not be held liable for any injuries or damages caused by the other party. It's like a waiver or release. So when you have a hold harmless, it says we're not responsible for things that happen to you. And then the last one is defense. It's the obligation to step in and defend the other party during a claim, before or after or during a legal proceeding. It usually means to hire a lawyer for somebody else at your cost, right? So typically we see these three things come together. So you probably have a provision in a contract when someone hands you their contract and it says, you agree to indemnify, defend, and hold us harmless. Okay, so this is a provision that is favorable to the GC, and then we're going to talk about a provision that is more favorable to a subcontractor. To the fullest extent permitted by law, the subcontractor shall defend, indemnify, and hold harmless the contractor, owner, architect, architects, consultants, and agents, and employees of any of them from and against claims, damages, losses, and expenses, including but not limited to attorney's fees arising out of or resulting from the performance of the work, provided that such claim, damage, loss, or expense is attributable to bodily injury, sickness, disease, or death, or to the injury or to the destruction of tangible property other than the work itself, but only to the extent caused by the negligent acts or omissions of the subcontractor, their subsubs, uh, anyone directly or indirectly employed by them, or anyone for whose acts they may be liable. So that means you own it all. Um, and again, just clients are surprised when I tell them this, this indemnity provision is guaranteed broader than the insurance you have. There are claims that could be made based on this provision that if you handed it to your insurance company, your insurance company would deny and say, we don't cover that. So that leaves you holding the bag. Okay, so here's a more favorable provision for indemnity, defense, and hold harmless. Any and all claims, demands, offsets, or back charges for defense, indemnity, or hold harmless by contractor or any or all indemnities shall only be to the extent subcontractor or those whose subcontractor is responsible or liable for are, are negligent and only after subcontractor has been given seven calendar days written notice and opportunity to commence the cure and only after any and all policies of insurance have been put on notice and have been exhausted and thereafter subcontractors direct uninsured liability shall be capped at 25,000. You'll notice this is like the culmination of all the things we talked about. It's got a notice and opportunity to cure provision, puts the insurance company first, it has a cap on it. Um, again, not likely that this exact version is going to get accepted, 
but it starts the conversation about what will or won't be, and you're going to negotiate some middle ground. One other tip I can give you is if we go back, notice that one of the things that they will do in a whole harmless provision, uh, an indemnity provision, is they start listing all these people that you're going to owe this duty to. Um, why, why do you want to agree to that? Why do you want to agree to give the architect indemnity, right? Uh, the engineer, the owner's lender, right? I mean, so easy, low-hanging fruit on the negotiation is, I will indemnify you, contractor. That's it. I'm not going to indemnify all these other people. Um, you, again, you may be able to get that agreed to. So that's the way you have to, to think about it. Hello, everybody. Let me introduce you to the Lean-O-Matic, our Florida construction law calculator. This helps you understand what to file and when, depending on what role you have on the project and what type of project it is. You can get it for free at leanomatic.com. We'll send it to you in the mail. It'll take a few days. And this is a great tool to have so that you can always answer the question of what to file and when. You can get it for free at leanomatic.com. Hopefully you'll put it to great use.